Your scripture today comes from Matthew 21. Um, It's going to be verses 1 through 11. And it reads like this. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to, to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. As the, as the young people are leaving, I just want to uh, give a little shout out to Mia and um, Celeste and Antonia as they received Corps Cadet Awards at uh, Youth Councils. I didn't know they would be ran out so fast, but uh, that's how it goes. Well, on this uh, Palm Sunday, uh, we do as we always do, we want to, um, again, lean in, I guess is the best word that I can use, into what happened on this date. Now, honestly, um, most of your Bibles, probably all of your Bibles, including mine, as I'm looking at Matthew 21, says the triumphal entry. But if you, you know, all the Gospels talk about Holy Week. If you really put it all together, though, Jesus went into Jerusalem, looked around at the temple, and went back home. We, it was, and I don't mean this in any disrespect of, especially to the Lord Jesus Christ, but it's a little more anticlimactic than we probably tradition has, has made it out to be. But yes, what he was truly doing was fulfilling prophecy. As he said, he did not come to uh, abolish the scriptures, abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. The word that I want to look at this morning is the word adore, adoration. You know, we use words today in our English language that honestly we have no idea where they came from. And, um, you know, of course, a lot of our words are words from Latin that we can't even say, much less understand. And and one of those words is the word adore. The word adore literally means to worship. Now, if you take a word for its real meaning, its literal meaning, then maybe we should not use the word adore like we do. I adore that little baby. Well, you don't worship the baby. You just, it's got a pretty fat face, so you, you like to look at the baby, right? 
you know, we do this with love, the word love. We say, oh, you know, I love, um, you know, butter pecan ice cream. That's my favorite, so that's why I use that. But do I really love it? Yes. No, I really don't, right? That's just not the way that's meant to be said. So when we look at adoration, as we, again, embrace the cross, because, again, as I told the Sunday school this, this uh, morning, you know, the old argument of is what's more important, Christmas or Easter? Yes, they're both important, right? But this is the most sacred week of our lives because this is why he was born. This is why he came. And, you know, it's, it's something when you think about how for Christmas we take a month, but for the whole reason why he came, we take a week. When you, when you kind of think about it, just, you know. So it's important to, to really lean in in these, in these days. No, yes, we take 40 days of Lent, I understand. But when you really get into Holy Week, um, we really need to lean in because what we don't want to happen as believers, is that we get to Resurrection Sunday, we worship, and then Monday comes, and it's just another day. No, don't do that, okay? So let's look at this. He is being adored. He, Jesus, really for the first time publicly in his ministry, is being allowed to be worshipped publicly. He never tells anyone, don't say who I am. He knows this is the correct time. So during the time of, of Christ, um, people truly did, uh, you know, when, when a king would come, and, and here's some symbolic, uh, uh, some symbols here that you may not realize. In Jesus' time, uh, when a king came in in peace, he rode on a donkey. When it was a time of war, he rode in on a horse. You see, in Revelation, Jesus if I can say it in my native Mississippi, ain't riding no donkey. He does come to make war. Not with us, not with his people. So yes, he is coming as prince of peace, king of peace. Jerusalem means city of peace. He rides into the very city that is called peace. So during this time, palm branches were placed in his path as a symbol of royalty. He is the son of David. Uh, he is being given his due, so to speak. And so we begin uh, Holy Week on Palm Sunday as we look at this, the final week of Lent. And that's a shout out for next Sunday to bring your, uh, uh, your purple bags, 30 pieces of silver for self-denial. I didn't forget. All right. But we are to adore God. And again, when you think about the word adore, adoration, to worship and to worship God alone. Uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, go to 1 Chronicles chapter 29. Now, you will notice uh, that First uh, and Second Samuel and First and Second Chronicles, they're a lot alike because they kind of truly really are the same, just said in different ways. But look at First Chronicles 29, uh, verse 10 through 13. This is David's prayer, and this is what David says. 
David blessed the Lord in the sight of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth, yours is the dominion, O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all, and in your hand is power and might, and it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. Now therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. That is adoration. <clears throat> Excuse me. That is being worshipped. Uh, many of the songs that we sing, even some that we will continue to sing this morning, has the word adore. Uh, here's, here's a few that you've probably sang over your lifetime. One song says, Father, I adore you. Jesus, I adore you. Spirit, I adore you. Uh, holy, 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 all the saints adore thee. It is you we adore. It is you praises are for. Here's another classic, joyful, joyful, we adore thee. With all creation, I sing praise to the King of kings. You are my everything, and I will adore you. The word, again, adoration, means to worship. In fact, even the Greeks used it almost exclusively in the worship of their own idols. So you see these words that we use? Uh, even the word holy, the, the, uh, uh, the pagans thought their gods were holy because there was none like them. But, all, but God says to us, the Lord your God is to be loved with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Right? Now, again, I did say we, we like to use words in many different ways. Babies are adorable. Some babies are. <clears throat> Puppies are adorable. Maybe kittens are adorable. Adoration is given to popular musicians, actresses. Uh, I did not know this, but adoration is a line of wigs by Eva Gabor. Uh, in fact, there is even a company uh, who uses the word adore and they sell underwear. I'm going to move on. Uh, and then again, as I go back to First Chronicles, J David is adoring the Lord. The question for us this morning on this Palm Sunday is, do we truly worship God as Lord of all, as God of all? Romans chapter 1 verse 25 says, They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. You see, if we're not careful, we go from worshiping and adoring God to worshiping and adoring the things that God created. We lose our balance. We lose, uh, you know, stability. In fact, Adam and Eve traded intimate fellowship with God for a lie. 
In Exodus 32, verse 4, it says, The people of Israel who saw the mighty deliverance of Israel from the land of Egypt were so easily led astray. When Moses was up on the mountain meeting with Yahweh to receive the Ten Commandments, the Israelites got the bright idea to make a golden calf and declare in Exodus 32, verse 4, This is your God, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. How quickly we forget. Now, and, and, and let's, let's be honest, I've never seen the Red Sea divide and, and, you know, walk on dry land. I've never seen all the plagues that came upon Egypt. They did. And it didn't take them long to go back to worshiping false gods. And then they had a feast. Now, what, now think about what did they eat? Do you think there was any beef on the menu? Do you think they sacrificed bulls or heifers? Romans 1.25, again, they, tra they traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshipped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself. So why did they fall for this lie? Why do we fall for it sometimes? Because our relationship is weakened with God. The true test of a relationship with God is when our worship is put in proper perspective and it's where it needs to be. And that is God alone. Who else is there to worship? Again, the, these Israelites saw the mighty works of God. And by the way, the Ten Commandments was on TV, on ABC last night. So if you had like five hours to spare, uh, you could watch it. The Lord God Almighty of Israel did all these miraculous signs. There were times when they greatly feared Him, but they never truly reveled in His presence. They never truly got the idea of worship. They had traded the truth about God for a lie. And we're talking about God's people. We're not talking about unsaved people. Here is a truth that runs through the Bible from the beginning to the end. The key to adoring God is having a relationship with God. You've probably heard it said, probably from this pulpit, you know, I think, what do they say, there's 15 inches between your head and your heart or something like that. And, and you know, and the truth is they say, well, that's the, difference between, that's the difference between heaven and hell. Because you can know God in here and not know anything about Him in your heart or your soul, your spirit. Okay, we often say God is to be our top priority. But how can that be wrong? The truth is it can be. It, God can be your top priority without ever loving or knowing him. Because we get involved in the doing. We get involved in the service. And that's, that in itself is not bad, but that's not going to get you to heaven. We are saved by grace. We are saved to do good things. We're not saved by those good things. Take, take Islam, for instance. The religion of Islam, Muslims believe that their God has no relationship with them whatsoever. He doesn't care if any of them go to paradise or hell, and he certainly has no care about any woman. And yet the God of Islam is their top priority. 
They will stop three times a day, no matter what's going on, to pray. You see, the truth in the lives of many who call themselves Christians is this. Many believe they are serving Him, but they don't know Him at all. And I've said, and I've heard it said, probably the scariest parable or story in the Bible is when Jesus separates the sheep and the goats and people say, but Lord, I did this and I did that and I did this. And Jesus says, I don't even know who you are. Now that's, there should be some self-examination in our own spirit, personally, when we read those words. Because he's not talking to hellions. He's talking to people who did the ministry. They were on the streets doing the thing. And they even say this to God. God, we did this in your name. We cast out demons. And he says, leave me. I never knew you. That, that's, we, we should pause every so often in our spiritual walk and make sure, are we really worshiping him? Another way to know is loss. If God took it all away today, would we still worship him? That's something that we all should think about every so often. Matthew 22, Jesus replied when he was asked, what's the greatest, you know, there's a lot of laws, Jesus, hundreds of them. What, what's the most important? Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the laws and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Love is one of the most powerful relationship words we have, right? We say to our closest friends, our family, I love you. You know, I was taught, not they didn't set me down, but just from experience, you don't hang up the phone without telling your loved one I love you. Okay, now you know in the South, uh, we have a phrase that means love. It says, watch out for deer, right? That means we love you. Don't get hit by a deer. Our love for God is just as essential for our salvation as is God's love for us. Jesus even said, do you love me? In fact, Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. And so we return that love back to him. 1 John 4.19 says we love him because he first loved us. So worship and adoration is a result of this love relationship between us and the Lord. Why do you think in the New Testament, uh, well, not just the New Testament, it's really the whole Bible, God uses marriage as this illustration of our relationship with him. That is why the word adultery and idolatry almost go hand in hand, because it is the same thing. Jesus, God is saying, you don't cheat on me, because I'm not going to cheat on you, right? One uh, teacher, Paul Washer, uh, was talking about the relationship between salvation and works, and this is what he said. He said, we've all heard uh, me chattering, this is, I'm quoting Paul Washer, we have all heard me chattering on about how Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 speak about salvation by the means of God's grace and our response of believing by faith. And then we see in Ephesians 2, 10 that God has prepared in advance things or works for us to do. 
When I was talking about that very thing, uh, he says, works are not the root of our salvation. They are the fruit of our salvation. Works do not cause the plant to come into being as roots are the beginning and sustaining part of the plant. The fruit of the plant is produced when the plant reaches maturity just as righteous obedience, or we would say holiness, is the fruit of a mature Christian. Paul even says this in, uh, to Titus, Titus 3, 4, and 5. It says, when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. That's why we should worship Him. He saved us. He died for you. And then he rose again. And now, even now, as I'm giving this message, he's praying for you. Probably one of the most important verses in the New Testament that we just skip over, or we don't skip, we, we just read and keep moving, that says that Jesus is interceding on your behalf. Ain't that amazing? That's what you're worth to him. He is pleading your case to God right now. So the question for many of us is, how do we get from worship and adoration to works? Worship and adoration of our great Savior is the greatest, most fundamental fruit that pours from a truly born-again Christian. Worship. It's, it's because, you see, worship is doing something. Did you know every person that's ever been born, we are hardwired, we are created to worship something. We're going to worship something. That's how God made us. Now, He made us to, to worship Him because when we worship Him, then we are content. Then we're satisfied. Now, we can worship a lot of different things, but it's never going to satisfy. You could spend your entire life trying to find favor with God by studying worship, studying what it means to have adoration, and then trying to implement your findings in order to earn salvation, but you would go insane because that's not how it works. You could memorize the hymnal. You could sing till you lost your voice. Uh, as an act of worship, but it would not earn your salvation. Wearing your uniform doesn't mean, doesn't mean you're saved. Or it's not an act of salvation. You see, it doesn't matter. And, and, and I know you all know this, but it's important because once we get into the, the doing, we start to think, well, there's my list of why I'm going to get into heaven. Right? Uh, I'm, I'm tithing, you know, I show up. You know, I do this, I do, and God is like, no, that's, you've missed it. You've missed the whole point. What do we celebrate more than anything in this holy week? It's three words. It is finished. Jesus dying on the cross fulfilled the idea that I have to go earn my salvation. I can't. You see, a person could do a million different things and could be just as far from God as when they started. Why? Because genuine worship flows only from the heart of a truly saved person. 
And a truly saved person cannot help but worship and adore the Lord. Why, you know, it's just like when a, when you, why do you, some of you do all the things you do for your kids? Why do I do it? The, the simple answer is I love them. That's the simple answer. Now, I could go into a million different reasons why I do, but when it's all said and done, I love them. And you would answer the same. So, you know, why do we serve the Lord? Not so that when we take our last breath, we're like, well, I hope I did enough. I hope I can slide through the door. No. It's because we genuinely love Him. Do you know, and again, we're hardwired in this, you will always worship what you love the most. All of us do that. Because you're made to do that. You can't truly worship the Lord unless you know and love Him through being born again. You remember the conversation Jesus had with Nicodemus about, well, you can't be born again, that's impossible. And He was saying, Jesus was like, no Nicodemus, what I mean is be born from above. It's a supernatural born again. Unless we are born again, we can never find favor with God, nor can He ever or you and I can ever truly worship and adore the Lord. The, the simple answer of why, why can't we? Because that's not his plan. He, he sets all this up. That's not his plan. Jesus came to save us and then recreate us into a creature that is capable of having a relationship with him. That's why Paul said, anyone who is in Christ is a new creature. This relationship that is, that is beginning to grow is consumed with worship and adoration and thanksgiving for his salvation. You know, the, the first thing we should do is to say, Lord, thank you for saving me. Because I know I'm not worthy. You know, Jesus said that there were two men. One was praying, thank you, Lord, that you didn't make me like this slob over here. I'm so much better than him. And then he said, there's another guy who wouldn't even look up to heaven and say, Lord, just, just, would you just be merciful to me? Because I'm a sinner. And Jesus said, who do you think God listens to? What he was talking about is someone who is born again, there's no pride there. Because we know we did nothing. We did nothing and can't do anything to earn our salvation. So we are humble. And it's, it's the truth. God's word is true. If you try to build yourself up, God will break you down. So stay humble and let God lift you up, as Peter wrote. The other, and honestly, this is the way it is because any other plan is unbiblical. The only way that you can truly love the Lord enough to worship him is that you've been saved. And that's why you adore him. No one makes you adore someone. You know, I don't guilt you into adoring God. That's not my role. And it's not your role to do that to anyone else. You know, I, I, I hate when I hear people say, well, look, look who came in the church. My God, the roof's going to cave in. You know, God's probably looking down on each one of us thinking, well, I could say the same about you. You're, you're, you're no better than they are. You see, true worship and adoration flows naturally. 
No one makes it happen. No one uh, self-imposes their will to make you adore something. So the question that we have to ask each, uh, each of us individually, privately, is this. Does worship and adoration of God naturally flow from me or flow from you? Does it happen naturally? Do you have to force yourself to seek the Lord or to worship Him? Do you either say, man, I have to get up on Sunday and go worship God? Or do you say, Lord, today is the day you have made. Let me rejoice and be glad in it. Now, that's not something you should just say on Sunday. You know, when we were singing, um, I was thinking about, Lord, uh, help me to be just in the, in the attitude of worship Monday morning, tomorrow, when the emails don't stop and the texts don't stop and the meetings don't stop. Help me to be just as in tune with you then as I am sitting in this chapel. Because somehow there's a disconnect that happens when the sun goes down on Sunday night. Maybe that's just me. But sometimes I struggle throughout the week thinking, Lord, if I can just get to Sunday. But friends, God created us to worship every day. We just do it Sunday corporately, together. You see, we shouldn't, this, none of this is forced. True love is never forced. I've actually had people say to me who were over me, you need to make your people do so and so. And let me tell you, if I have to, if that's the mentality, y'all can, I'll give you the keys. Because I'm never going to make anybody do anything. Jesus even said, we're not, you don't lord it over like the Gentiles do. You know that the, the most interesting, I know my time is gone, but you know the most interesting conversation in whole, during the whole time of Holy Week to me is when he's talking to Pilate and he says, my kingdom is not of this world. And Pilate says, what is truth? It was standing next to him and he never saw it. Friends, we are not to live with a worldly kingdom in view, we are to live with a heavenly kingdom. We are not to do things the way the world does. We should not have to be forced to worship. And, and also many people, many Americans especially, run around from church to church hoping to find one that will get their hearts stirred up. Not knowing that they are really looking for a fake substitute. You see, friends, many people, and you remember there was a time when people were just happy to be in the church, and I'm talking about when there was no AC, you had, you had to get the windows up so that air would flow in, they had ceiling fans, people were waving fans, and they were singing to the top of their lungs. You know why? Because they had joy. They, honest to goodness, loved the Lord. So the question for each one of us, including myself, is worship an obligation or a joy for you? Does the word adore even come into the picture? Or do we just say, Lord, here's the hour that I have to give you, and God forbid if the major goes over. 
Or do we say, Lord, I get to worship you. I look forward to this. And yes, even on a Monday morning, I can still worship you. It may be different, and that's fine. We're going to sing this chorus that we usually sing.